1: It's life in the NFL when, in decision-making like that. And I think that from where my mindset is, is that I know that the quickest way to win a game like that is to score touchdowns, not field goals, especially considering who's on the other side. And to me, when you feel like you're in an advantage situation, when you don't feel like it's a gamble, when you feel like this is an advantage for you, then that's going to be our mindset. Okay? And I don't think that any decision that we made tonight, I made tonight, was a gamble. We felt like it was an advantage situation for us, and that's why we did it. If we didn't feel like that was the case, then we would have kicked a field goal or we would have punted, and um, that's the way we're going to do things around here, and uh, you know, I know that our team uh, embraces that mindset, and uh, we're going to continue to do it every game we play moving forward.
0: You're listening to Beck QL Daily, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, with Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth. From Beck QL.
1: Welcome back. Beck UL Daily presented as always by FanDuel Sportsbook. Joe O, Joe G, Aaron Hawksworth with you on a Friday morning. Coming up, contest picks, lightning bets. Right now, though, we go out to the Roman guest line. Joining us, Ed Egros from FanDuel, more ways to win, and ballet sports. Ed, we got to start with last night. Uh, I need your thoughts. I saw you were tweeting a little about it today. on Brandon Staley, how he managed that game last night, and really just the way Brandon Staley coaches. Because although he's not the first one, we've seen more aggressive coaches. John Harbaugh has really gone to that degree as his, as his career's gone on and with a lot of success. Brandon Staley's become like the poster guy now, right? He's the one that everyone points to. What did you make of the decisions last night uh, in general? And then your um, thoughts on the way Staley is kind of approaching every fourth down and, and most of these decisions he's made this year.
2: Certainly. So there are three points that I would make to this. Number one, in terms of each individual fourth down decision that he made, I agree with all of them. I think in terms of you know what the models say, Uh, Situation in the game, opponent, all of those things. I completely agree that what he did was the right move in every situation. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the bite that you played, I think, is interesting because he's not necessarily saying, okay, well, the models are telling us to do this or the analytics are pointing uh, in this particular direction. What he's saying is, look, the Chiefs have a potent, lethal offense. They're going to score touchdowns, so we need to keep up and score touchdowns as well. It's not an analytical approach that he's pointing to. And yet we seem to get into the semantics of, oh, the analytics are saying this. And so that's what we need to be arguing. No, Staley is saying it's about the strength of competition he's going up against. And to me, that's how we should be arguing this. Do you feel like that the Chiefs are just as good as they were a few years ago to where you have to score touchdowns instead of field goals to keep up with them because at some point, Pat Mahomes is going to find Travis Kelsey who's going to have incredible yards after catch. That's the argument we should be having. And number three, I think this is more of a macroscopic level that has nothing to do with Brandon Staley. We argue about fourth downs way too much. Yes, they matter. Yes, I agree with the decisions. And yes, I believe in aggressive play calling and all of that stuff. But in terms of play calling and play design, that matters a heck of a lot more than how often you are going on fourth down for. And the reason for that is, look, you can go for fourth down, but if your play design is terrible and you're not going to make it, well, then the decision really doesn't matter. If you're going to kick a field goal or punt it, then, okay, well, then your play design doesn't matter anyway because you never get to execute it. Play design and play calling matter that much more than fourth down decision making. The problem is it's... How do you argue that? How do you argue that? Oh, given this, uh, you know, too too high safety uh, thing, that you should have run this play, or you should have run this route if you are, you know, the Z receiver, whatever it is. That's a much harder conversation and debate to have than whether you should be going for it on fourth down. To me, if you are to be the the more intelligent football fan, if you are to really dig deeply into the sport, play calling and play design should be what get the lion's share of your attention. Uh, But we're not doing that. Instead, it's real easy to talk about fourth down Mm decision-making because either you did it or you didn't. And to me, it's a little too simplistic for what makes good football decision-making.
0: Yeah, we have the results in hand, so it's Mm -hmm. easy. We we can just pick pick whichever side we want. And guess what? If Jared Cook doesn't drop that walk-in touchdown, this is not a big deal. Or people are praising Staley. If Kelly doesn't fumble the ball, at the end zone, like we're probably not even talking about it. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I have no issue with the fourth down decisions. The only question I did have is if you're going to be that guy and you're going to go to the what we now call the extreme, why not go for two to go up by nine against that guy?
2: And that's a fair question. But I, I would also push back and say, well, if you are up eight – then that is a much higher win probability, uh, than it is going up seven, seven. And you know, who's to say that the chiefs are not going to go for two if they're down one, that's also something that should be factored into this decision-making. And I, I, I believe it was, uh, you know, last Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if I sort of remember my situations correctly, cause they blend together. But I, I do recall that if you, you know, go for two and miss, then your opponent, uh, or no, no, what was it? It was, a uh, down nine, going for two right. uh, to make it a one-possession game to make it seven. Well, mm-hmm. e- if you're down eight or, you know, you're you're at nine uh, because you went for two and you miss, well, then your opponent can go for two and then make it a three-possession game, and then essentially the contest is over. So I do believe that, you know, analytics does have this stuff baked in. You know, to say that it doesn't preposterous. But it does matter in terms of what your opponent is going to do, and if they are going after opportunities, uh, to tie, take the lead, whatever it is. I think that decision-making does matter uh, in sort of in that microcosm. Uh, if they felt like the Kansas City was going to go for two, potentially go for the win because they were on the road, they were clicking, all of that stuff, then I think that matters in the conversation as well.
0: Ed, with COVID is running rampant for so many teams, how are you handicapping these games? Are you waiting? Do you have any tips for us?
2: I think waiting is not necessarily a bad thing. And I know it's uh, weird to say that in the betting space, because the sooner you bet, the better historically. But what's fascinating about uh, this year in particular is that closing line value, CLV, has not mattered very much. A lot of people who are betting earlier in the week are seeing the market move in their direction and losing the bet more often than not. And typically that's not what happens. Usually the market is fairly good about moving a line in the right direction because it wasn't sharp and then it becomes sharp. But for some reason that hasn't been the case. And I wonder how much of that is just simply a lot of bettors coming into this space who don't necessarily have the experience or the knowledge of how this is supposed to go. And so because of that, all of a sudden, you're going to have inefficient lines to begin with, and then it's gonna get worse because people are overreacting to, to information or they're reacting to the wrong information. And I feel like by waiting, you can exploit sort of that inefficiency of knowledge when it comes to thinking, oh, because this is happening, therefore we need to go in the other direction. Just because there's COVID news doesn't necessarily mean that the line should move really at all, if you have great backups, great coaches, great play design, things like that.
1: Ed, your thoughts on the line movement with the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. Urban Meyer out. A disastrous <laughs> coaching tenure is done. Uh, Bevel's going to take over the, p- the final four games. And the line has moved considerably. We're talking about a five-point favorite here. The Jaguars are favored by five. What do you make of them? I mean, do you think Urban Meyer is holding them back so much that this is appropriate, or, or are we all over- overreacting because we want to bet on the Jaguars now?
2: Well, it's not like that Jacksonville was this outstanding team and Urban Meyer was, you know, the one thing that was preventing them from greatness, getting to a, a past 500 record or things like that. I do believe that this is an overreaction. I felt like that Houston had a great opportunity to win on the money line here. And to me, this looks like it's going to be more money. Now, I do understand that, yes, when you look at this season in a nutshell, that head coaches in terms of absences, things like that, really hadn't mattered very much. And that's in large part because play calling and play design, it's already installed. And now the players just need to go out there and execute. And the assistants know what they need to do. They know what the plan is. And then that's fine. Uh, We saw it with Cliff Kingsbury. He wasn't there for a game. That turned out to be just fine. And there are other examples as well. You can also point to, say, when John Gruden was let go of. Uh, that the Raiders at least won that first game before things started to fall apart. And so I feel like that we are all assuming that this is exactly the same situation and that Jacksonville is going to be inspired again. They're going to have that adrenaline rush and they're all of a sudden going to go out there and uh, take it out on Houston.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: I don't necessarily believe it's going to happen in this spot because I think in large part that Jacksonville has already been falling apart, that there really hasn't been that much direction in the first place. And also the timing of the firing matters a good bit. I mean, this is also a part of the week where now all of a sudden uh, coaches, you know, staffs, they're having to adjust on the fly. And I'm not sure that's going to work given the time that all of a sudden they can figure out within a full week how to – game plan for such a departure
0: two Saturday games uh, QB three for the Browns now so the Ravens are favored by three and a half on the road total of 38 uh, the nightcap Colts two and a half point favorites even though New England was favored on the look ahead and there's been no football between these two teams uh, since <laughs> they were both on by but uh, Colts minus two and a half total 45 and a half. do you have a strong opinion on either Saturday game
2: Yeah, I definitely think that the Patriots can pull that one off. And like I mentioned before about the market moving in the wrong direction for a lot of games throughout this regular season, I think that's happening once again with the Colts and the Patriots. I think the Patriots can win this game. This is in large part because what the Colts are doing as far as the ground game is concerned with Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line, it's historic. And it's not just better than everyone else this year. It's better by a mile. And you have to respect that. And, yeah, it's a much better ground game than what the Patriots are rolling out there, uh, despite what we saw on Monday night and all that stuff. But Mac Jones, to me, is largely the difference maker. I mentioned before about play calling and play design. You know Bill Belichick is one of the worst fourth down decision makers in football right now in terms of when he should be going for it and the fact that he doesn't a lot of the time. But his play calling and play design is so much better than just about everyone else's that he's able to overcome that. Uh, What Mac Jones is doing with out routes has been unbelievable. How they're doing the ground and pound, all of that stuff. That, I think, is going to overcome what the Colts are capable of doing. Now, I do like the over. I think both offenses can score in this situation. But, yeah, I think the Patriots can pull this off in large part because the balance is good, making it unpredictable. And I think the Colts' defense uh, has been banged up a little bit. In some places, they might be getting healthier. They may not be but I don't think they have as many answers. Unlike say what the Patriots defense can do to at least slow down Jonathan Taylor or mix up coverages with Carson Wentz to force him into mistakes.
0: Ed, um, another game that I think is interesting, the Bengals um, two and a half point underdogs in Denver. I'm wondering if the wrong team is favored. I like the Bengals, but I'm curious your thoughts in this game.
2: I'm sorry, Aaron, but I like the Broncos here and I know that, I, I know I I know we're getting into the Teddy Bridgewater thing, and you're all going to make fun of me and bring up the graphics, and that's what you do. It's fine. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm a big boy. But I'm going to say it again. I believe in Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think he stinks. I think he just had a bad week, and sometimes he has those. And... <clears throat> I know he can be a bit of a check down quarterback, but sometimes if you're a check down quarterback with the receivers he has, it turns out just fine. And I think this is going to be another situation. How he does in the rollout game is just fine. Uh, You know, there are a lot of good pieces. The ground game is obviously good. I think we can all agree upon that. Uh, Regardless of how home field advantage works uh, this year in football, I think Denver will always have altitude. They're always going to be the mile high city. And so that means that they're always going to have a, an extra advantage uh, you know, above everyone else. I do think that Joe Burrow can at least keep this game interesting and keep up, uh, whether he's down big or up or, you know, it's going back and forth. I, I do think that both teams can score here. That's another game where I like the over. But Denver has something to where the drive is such to where they are a serious playoff contender. Uh, especially given the state of the division, and they know they have to win games like this. I, I think that matters a good bit as far as coming out with unique things uh, that Bridgewater knows how to execute. I do love Denver in this spot. Teddy covers. He does. He does. <laughs> if he does nothing else, he one. checks down and covers.
1: <laughs> Checking down and covers. All that matters. Ed, let's talk about a, a game that's almost a pick 'em now. It's come down. Tennessee, a one-point favorite in Pittsburgh against the Steelers, forty-two and a half on the total. Uh, what do you make of this game? Interesting. Two AFC, te- AFC teams in the race, and obviously Mike Tomlin, extra time. He's an underdog. I always like Tomlin when he's an underdog. Yeah, and I understand why.
2: I've got the utmost respect for for Tomlin here. But offensively, there's still a lot of questions with the Steelers. I mean, the Pat Fryer move thing is, has been you know, a real savior. Had they not had that, uh, had they not had some reliability uh, with a young tight end, uh, where would they be in this spot? Uh, that's been fascinating that that sort of came out of nowhere. But uh, given given the investments uh, in, in the ground game, at some point, you know, Ben Roethlisberger does have to win some games for you. And I, I'm just having a tough time trusting him in the spot. I, I know that the Titans health. It's a real question mark how they've handled the, the lack of Derrick Henry has has been a problem. I understand that. But at some point, the Titans have to figure out that Ryan Tannehill is a great play action quarterback. And until that happens, they are going to be inhibiting themselves. Hopefully with additional, uh, you know, rest and preparation, they realize this. And hopefully that even with uh, backup receivers, Ryan Tannehill is uh, able to, you know, not not have sort of the turnover worthy plays. Make sure to look the, look at the play action uh, game and be comfortable all the way around.
1: Great stuff at Egros. Fan more ways to win at Valley Sports on the Roman Guest Line, get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash now to get $15 off your first month. That's GetRoman.com slash On the other side, Joe and Paul go through the process for the contest picks for Week 15 next on the BeckQL Network.